Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. We're focusing in this undistanced moment about a God who hears. In ministry, many people have, across the 30 plus years of my ministry, have said, how do I know that God hears my prayers? And we can look to the psalm and hear the psalmist saying that God hears the cries of his people. But most often what people are saying is, I'm wanting this to happen, God, and it hasn't happened yet. So we enter in this text, and it's not in a vacuum, but it's incredibly important to set the context for this text. For 400 years, the people have been waiting in Israel, and they're in Jerusalem, and they've been waiting for a prophet to speak from God. 400 years. Look, some of you have difficulty waiting four extra minutes in the Whataburger curbside to get your stuff, right? And then you complain because your french fries aren't crispy, they're mushy. Not that I participate with you, but I've been there too, right? Or they get the order wrong. 400 years the people have been waiting. 400 years through times of conquest and times of hopefulness. And what would happen in Jerusalem, in the area that you see is what's now where the Dome of the Rock sits. So if you ever see pictures from Jerusalem and you see the Golden Dome, that's really been controlled by the Muslims for hundreds of years. But that's where the temple stood. The temple, the only place where the, the holiest of holies was for the Jewish people. Within, within the Jerusalem folks, there were 24 different divisions of priests. You can read in Kings and find out that when David built the temple, he established these groups of divisions of priests, anywhere from 350 to 800 per division. And what would happen is these 24 divisions were responsible for roughly two separate weeks of the year to go, and they would be the ones who attend to the temple. Now, this is not the high priest. The high priest is what you hear in a separate kind of role. These are the, the ordinary kind of priests. These are basically, to put it, these are the male leaders who have been through a Jewish time of instruction, and they're of the 12 different tribes, 24 different divisions, and they were responsible for going and serving for about a week, and they would go, and a whole group of them would go, and the easiest way to give you the analogy is they would play rock, scissor, and paper for who got to do what. They literally would cast lots. Like this morning, I decided that when we got together as a clergy team to pray, I had Stacy and Clint, the two that aren't preaching today, to play rock, scissor, paper, and the winner got to pray for the day. Clint won. So whatever happens today, you get the credit, brother. But they would cast lots. And the lots would be so that they would say that this is God's choosing of the people. So that you would avoid the sense of jockeying or division that it could occur. There are all kinds of responsibilities that you were in this group. I mean, imagine that uh, Roper and Ward are in charge of uh, a chili cook-off. Oh, that's easy to imagine, isn't it, right? And you all know the things that you divide up every year, right? I mean, we all know Ken Austin is going to bring that big pan of shrimp that's been boiled in butter and just, you know, in French bread, no pressure, Ken Austin, but we are expecting this, right? 
Are we still going to have cobbler this year? Yeah, cobbler. See, we, we, we expect these things. So people would come in these particular moments they would expect. And the role of the priest was to make sure all these particular things were happening. They would cast lots. So you can imagine if there are 300 some of you that show up for this role, there's only like 40 some positions to fill. What would happen? Well, you cast lots, you'd find out who would do what, you would perform that function. But if you got the actual lot cast to be the one who went in to burn at the altar of incense, that happened once in your lifetime and it would never happen again. Once in a lifetime. So what you need to listen for in the text in a moment is that Zechariah was part of a division that was their term of service. And the lot falls to Zechariah, you will hear the vision. And what he's able to do is he's able to go into the inner area, not the holiest of holies, but an inner area. And I want you to imagine if we took the chapel that's roughly 30 by 70, and if we took the chapel and we just magically transplanted it and just landed it right behind me or now right in front of me where the cross is, there would be an area that you would go in and there would be a special bronze altar there. And at the bronze altar, on the one side would be a menorah, the light of God and light's continual presence. So the priest that would go in would have to tend to the light. We've just come out of Hanukkah. You remember, I'm sure, and hopefully you remember the significance of Hanukkah, that when the temple is restored to the Jewish faith, there was only light enough to burn for one day, and yet it burned for eight days while more oil was pressed and prepared. On the other end of the altar that was there would be the showbread. Now, there's a group of priests whose only responsibility was to make sure that this bread was prepared. And if you think back, what would that bread represent? Well, it would represent that God is present with God's people all of the time. So when we come to Holy Communion, we must remember the imagery of God's presence in the bread stretches all the way back into our Jewish history. Every time there had to be a fresh plate of the showbread, and the, piece, the priest would consume the leftover bread, so that it was treated as, as a holy bread. But it was to represent God's presence. It was also known as the bread of presence. And then there would be a special task, which is actually the one who gets to burn the incense. Have you ever wondered why they have incense like that? I remember the funny story that is told. It could be truth or false because you don't know when preachers tell stories if it's truth or fiction. We just say sometimes we stretch the truth. We just don't know where the breaking point is. That a young man went with the extended family to a Catholic service, and he had never been to one before. And if you've been in a high church Catholic service, in comes the priest with the with the incense and swinging the incense, and the little boy bolted out from the pier, ran up and grabbed the priest on the, on the hem of his robe and said, hey, mister, mister, your purse is on fire. So this imagery of incense is that incense wafts up, right? It sort of lifts up the smoke. These are, this is the way in which you go to burn the incense, and you have this extraordinarily high privilege of representing all of God's people, all the prayers of all the people, the most insignificant people who just come to that moment and never get to the inner court, who are just bringing a grain offering, you know that ultimately when you bring that, you are seeking God's presence, and you know there's somebody standing on your behalf, standing in this inner area, who is lighting the incense, who's carrying your prayers into the very presence of God, and incense must always be burning. 
This is the role that Zechariah has. You also want to listen carefully in the text in a moment. It was, hopefully you know the story, but if you don't, you've got a 50-50 chance of getting this question correct. Was Zechariah young or old? Good Methodist, way to go. Good Bible scholars, he was old. It doesn't tell us exactly how old. But in my imagination, I wonder how many trips did Zechariah make from his tribe and division, from where he lived in Enkarim, about four miles? How many times did he make that trip? How many times were the lot cast? We don't know if he got the one that took the offering of the lamb forward. Did he take the grain offerings? Did he help out in other ways? We don't know. All we know is that for all those years, he was traveling, he was faithful, he was listening. And in the bottom of his heart, he and Elizabeth, his wife, wanted a child. They did not have one. But he continually stood and fulfilled his role on behalf of the people. You would wake about 3 o'clock in the morning for your week or so. You'd go in the first day, the lots would be cast, the divisions would be set. John Carter, you'd be responsible for making sure it's thus and such, and you would be there, and Ward would be there, and others would be there. And what you'd do is you'd show up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and your service wouldn't start till about 8. But you'd start up at 3 in the morning, and you would go, and you would ritually prepare yourself by the washing and cleansing Because the task of standing between the people and God and representing them to God was so holy, you had to be prepared and ready. How many times did Zechariah do this? We don't know, but we know he'd done it many, many a time, twice a year. And finally, in the text today, he's the one who gets picked. Now, I'm flipping the order during the sermon a bit because I'm telling you what I want you to listen for in the text, and I want the text to preach. He's in a division. He's in a group. He's gone back in time again. How often do you and I go time and time again to church? Do we go with the same expectancy that God's going to show up? You see, tradition isn't what saves our lives. Tradition and the teaching of the church and the liturgy should focus on the witness of Scripture to have a personal encounter with a living Christ. That's what we're about. And God hears the cries of our people. He hears the cries of our heart even when we don't get the answers to our prayers. You know the words of that country and western song, don't you? Sometimes God's greatest gift is unanswered prayers. And so you want to listen carefully. I'll have a little slow listen. I'll I'll kind of give a little sort of extra emphasis in the text about where we hear a simple sentence of why the angel Gabriel is there. Now, it's interesting, you're going to hear the angel Gabriel. Whenever Gabriel shows up, Gabriel was one of the ones, there's, there's an argument within Jewish faith whether there were seven angels that stood in the very presence of God or just four, but in both lists, guess who was there? Gabriel. Gabriel was the Tom Brady of the angels, right? He was the goat. And when Gabriel shows up, people listen. People listen. God sent Gabriel with a message to one who had been faithfully going time and time and time again. And then I want you to listen carefully for what is Zachariah's response. And this is to me where it's so important for us to hear. You're going to hear Zachariah's response. Now, whenever I'm praying for something or I'm looking for something, 
I, I, I'm on a search for, for God to, to bring that moment to fruition or, or to answer that prayer, to, to, to deliver on his goodness. I, I stand with people in hospitals. I, I pray with people in times of waiting for the expectancy of, of a job or schooling or test or whatever's happening. And, and when something beautiful happens, like with Haley and Ron Crossman's son-in-law, Luis, and we get the text... And we get the text that afternoon that not only did surgery go well for Luis, but surgery went, went well for Luis's sister who donated in order that Luis could receive this complex move that has to happen within the medical community. And do you know what we put out as emojis? Praise God. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first... We would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Because God has been faithful in the moment. But listen to Zachariah's response. And that's where I want us to kind of think about how we are like Zechariah when we lift our cries to God. So I'm going to invite you now as you are able to stand out of respect to God's Word for the reading of the text, which comes today from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23, as you hear the first encounter with an angelic visitor in the New Testament record. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zechariah is inside, all alone with the burning of the incense. No one else is with him. No one else can see him. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, which would be by the showbread. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I want us all to read verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel 
to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. O God, prepare our hearts and minds that as we prepare to come to this table of Holy Communion and to encounter you, that we would with joy hear what you would speak to us this day, and that we would be people who seek to hear what you would say to us. For this we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Why are we always so surprised when God answers prayer and God shows up? I guess it's just part of our human nature that we expect to be disappointed because the world around us disappoints us so much, doesn't it? Time and again, promises that fail to be kept, hopes that are dashed. But here's the good, great news today. There is one who will never fail to hear you. There is one who will never fail to be with you. And while the request of your heart may not be granted, the good news is that he is always with you. The one cradled in Mary's arms bears witness to this truth. I'm reading a book right now that I've really enjoyed. I commend to you. It's by A.J. Swoboda. And it's called After Doubt. And I've really appreciated how he really challenges us in the midst of how we understand questions and faith together. And I want to leave you with this imagery from Swoboda who, who really focuses us in on this moment of silence. Because you see, Zechariah is going to be silent until the birth of John. He'll be silent until the birth of John. In fact, if you read later in John chapter 1, you actually see that he doesn't actually speak John's name. He writes it out. They had to give him a tablet. He had been silent so long, I wonder if his sense of not being able to speak was so clearly there. So Bada says that um, in talking about the, the difficulty we have in moments of silence, he said, reading the saints in Christian history, we discover many of them ask the same questions that we have. Issues of theology, injustice, spiritual difficulties, doubts. What is different is that they often took an entire lifetime to wrestle with them. And this is what I want you to hear. It's on the screen now for you. 
Our obsession with the quick fix and immediate response does not permit us to ask the big questions over a long period of time. Patient reflection is gone. Rather than going deep, we go wide. In our fervor to scratch our soul's itches, we rush to the podcast, YouTube channel, or favorite celebrity to help ease the pain of the unanswered questions. We opt for quick answers to our hard questions rather than hard answers that result from long, difficult, toilsome reflection. We've traded the wise for the quick. We've traded the wise for the quick. Church, I can tell when you've been in the presence of God and it doesn't mean that you've been in church. I can tell when you have made your heart open to the movement of the Holy Spirit because you will say to us as pastors, I, I, I can't tell you why. I can just tell you God's put this in my heart. I feel this lead. And you step forward and you make others' needs a higher priority than your, other, than your own. You, you look for ways to bless others besides yourself. You, you ask questions about what does God want of me in this moment? There's this struggle and I don't understand. And you let those questions that you have be the fuel to your faithfulness encountering God. Don't stop asking the questions, church. Don't stop being the people who say, God, where are you? What do you want of me? Because it's in that moment of silence between the encounter of God and what happens that we find the wisdom of the long journey of listening to God. God's not into quick fixes. He's into immediate transformations that lead to lifelong changes in your habits, your behaviors, in your heart. In this journey of Advent, this season when we think of the expectancy of the coming of Christ, I ask you this question, what are you expecting to be different in your heart and life because you are journeying to Bethlehem? And when you respond to this love of Christ, what will look different in your life? Just off to the right of where Zechariah was, a group of priests were responsible for making sure that the bread of presence to remind people consistently that God was with them to provide for their needs was always there. And so today, this bread represents the presence of God for you and me, a promise that God is always with us, even when the cries of our heart seem to be unanswered prayers. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you awaken us to the movement of your Holy Spirit that reminds us of your presence and strengthens us? Would you help refine the cry of our hearts so that it doesn't reflect the desires of this world, but what you are yearning to be in relationship to us? God, help us to respond in a way that is true and full of life and authentic. And help us recognize in a moment as we come to even this liturgy of Holy Communion that as we celebrate this service, we will be filled with questions that become fuel to our faith in you. For this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, 